Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. So we've got a brand new prediction from Jeff Gunlock. He's talking about a paradigm shift. This really changes everything. Let's get right into a video. I believe this was from his most recent speech at the Grants Conference, Jim Grants Conference. And then what we're going to do is we're going to actually listen to what he's saying, look at some charts, and then we're going to look at a story from Market Watch to connect the dots and see how this is going to apply to the average Joe and Jane. You guys watching this video right now. So let's get over to this clip and check out what Jeff Gunlock is predicting here. But if you look at where we are, we have nearly an 8% budget deficit as a percentage of GDP. And I think the guessing is the GDP in the United States will be around 2.5% real uh, for this year. Nominal will probably be more like 6% or 7%. But that's all the budget deficit. If we didn't have a budget deficit, we'd have zero growth. Okay, now focus on that, guys. Did you hear what he said? This, this is aside from this paradigm shift that he's talking about. I think this is absolutely key. He said, if we didn't have deficit spending, we would have zero, zero, if not negative, GDP growth. You see, so you have to ask yourself the question, how efficient is government spending? Or how inefficient, <laughs> if you better said, is government spending? So without that government spend, without that government deficit spending, real GDP would most likely be negative or at the very best flat. So all of our economic growth is coming as a result of government deficit spending, which you guys know darn well, actually distorts the economy in the future. It's just like that heroin addict. The more heroin they inject into their body, the more that distorts their mind or their body, their soul, et cetera, on a moving forward basis. And it's the exact same thing with government deficit spending. This is just straight Austrian economics, where we've got a misallocation of resources. We've got malinvestment to an extreme because we know that the government is going to take resources from over here. They're going to allocate it over there. We're going to do it very inefficiently. And that is going to mean the economy in the future is going to be far less efficient than it is today. And if you don't believe me, just use the thought experiment of communist Russia. 100% controlled by the government and the central planners. How efficient was that economy? The enough said. Or you go back to the late 1800s or prior to the Federal Reserve in the United States where government spending was maybe 5% of GDP. How efficient do you think that economy is compared to where we are today with government spending at, let's say, 40 or 50%. And to Gunlock's point, moving forward, the amount of government spending is most likely going to grow. It's going to continue to get higher. And if we're relying on government right now for pretty much all of our economic growth, okay, well, that's government deficit, deficit spending. That means a lot more debt being issued, a lot more supply. And his theory, this might not be my base case, but his theory here is hypothesis is that means a fundamental shift in interest rates. You go from being in a 40-year, let's say, bull market with bonds, being the price going up, the, the yields going down, to now we have gone, we have transitioned into a completely new trend where for the next 20, 30, 40 years, interest rates will be going up. Now, they don't go up in a straight line. 
And one thing that Jeff Gunlock points out in this presentation is that if we have a recession, you're likely going to see bonds, yields, treasuries go down, even at the long end of the curve. But he says that's going to be your selling opportunity. Again, I might have a slightly different view, but I'm just presenting this as something for you guys to think about. Because obviously, Gunlock is a smart guy. And just because you might not agree with him on everything, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't listen to him, for heaven's sakes. He's got a lot of very good nuggets of wisdom. And we're going to get into another nugget of wisdom here in just a couple of seconds. Let me go back to the clip. And you'll notice that the level of the budget deficit now is about the same as a percentage of GDP as it was at the depths of the global financial crisis. And here we are probably heading into another bout of stimulus in response to the next recession. So let's take a look at how we, what's going on here. Well, we've been raising interest rates. I put this in the context of past hiking cycles. So they all start at the, at the first, basically the first hike. And we'll notice that the one that started last year in 2022 is by far the steepest, by far. If you guys can't see that, that's highlighted by this blue line that's just going parabolic, light blue line. Uh, and the largest, and this goes all the way back to 87. This is kind of Volcker-esque type of interest rate increases, but it's not just the United States. It's all over the world. And it's very interesting how synchronized everything seems to be. Back in, I don't know, at the left-hand side of this chart, there was some people that were cutting while others were not. Not anymore. It's sort of like everybody's hiking together. It's almost like we have a global central bank. Get what he said right there? He pointed out that now it seems like monetary policy is synchronized globally. And this is a new phenomenon. If you go back to the 1980s when we had the last massive rate hiking cycle, not the last cycle, but the last massive one that would be comparable to what we've seen over the last year or so. Some banks, central banks, were raising rates. Others were not. Others were raising them at a slightly different pace or maybe a lot different pace. So there was independent thought independent policies, let's say. But now we fast forward to 2023 and every single central bank is doing pretty much the exact same thing. It's just to what degree. So it's like we've got a, he said, and this is his words, not mine. It's like we have a global central bank. Does this remind you of anything else? I don't know. When we go back to 2020 and the narrative coming from every single government was identical, almost like they were reading from some sort of script. And that script seemed to be eerily similar to what was coming down from Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum. I'm not saying that Klaus Schwab is controlling monetary policy, but I do think it's, it's very weird. And it's something that we need to be cognizant of that pretty much every single politician Every single central planner, every single central banker is all on the same page to the point where it's almost like they're reading from a script or almost like they're getting their marching orders from above and they're all just doing whatever they are told from some sort of central authority, not within a country, but globally. Look at the narrative around Russia, Ukraine when that first started. Again, identical. Don't you think it's weird that Every single country, with the exception of maybe Tanzania and Sweden, had pretty much the exact same policy with the cervasa sickness as far as the lockdowns. Isn't that bizarre? I mean, go back to the Spanish flu and see how different it was, even from state to state. 
in the United States, let alone from country to country. And now we see the exact same thing with monetary policy. I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but when I heard Gunlock talking about this, I thought this was definitely worth noting. All right, now let's get back to the economics of this and where he's going from a standpoint of global macro. He's talking about, or maybe U.S. domestic policy, monetary policy, is interest rates higher, deficits a lot, lot higher moving forward, especially if we go into a recession. And if those deficits increase, his theory is that we've got this paradigm shift with interest rates to where they're continuing to, they will continue, excuse me, to go up and up and up. Now, they don't go up in a straight line because he says there's the caveat of a recession, which he thinks will get in 2024. And he shows several charts that outline or give data backing up his opinion. But he says, with the exception of that, we're in like a long-term super cycle. We talk about that with commodities all the time. He thinks that we're in this long-term super cycle, basically, with interest rates, which would be consistent with how they have performed historically. Usually, you've got an up cycle or a down cycle in rates that last about 30 or 40 years. And you can take that all the way back to, my goodness gracious, pretty much the 1800s in the United States. And you can see that cycle repeat itself over and over and over again. Sometimes it's 25 years, sometimes it's 30 years, but you know, roughly we'll call it between 25 and 40 years. Last cycle, obviously about 40. So if you are to assume, like Gunlock is, that we've had this paradigm shift, everything that is, everything has changed. And in the next couple decades, we're going to see higher and higher and higher rates. Then you've got to assume or you've got to think through how that's going to impact the average Joe and Jane, the American consumer. Because we're trying to figure out what's going to happen to the American economy or the global economy. But the biggest economy in that matrix, if you will, is the United States. So we've got to understand that the United States economy is about 70% consumption. All right. Let me do another screen share and we're going to go over to an article from Market Watch that I think you guys will find absolutely fascinating. Here we go. And I want you to think through this, or I want you to, let's go through this and look at it through the lens of this paradigm shift in interest rates that Jeff Gunlock was talking about in his recent presentation at the Grants Conference. So headline from Market Watch: the American consumer is still on a spending spree. Remember, the consumer's resilient. But that doesn't mean they're financially healthy. And this is interesting that now kind of the mainstream financial media is picking up on this. Something we've been discussing on this channel for, oh, I don't know, <laughs> six months, a year. They say companies have been touting the strength of the American consumer as has the financial mainstream media. But that doesn't necessarily mean people are in good financial health. Now they're going to back this up with a lot of data. Nearly a third of Americans have less money saved for an emergency than they did at the start of this year. And I'd be very interested to see that data going back to 2019, prior to the Cervasa sickness. And I would bet my bottom dollar uh, that they have less going toward that emergency fund than they did in 2019 as a result of all the government intrusion into the economy. You can't just lock people in a cage. You can't just shut off an economy for a year, a global economy, maybe for even longer than that, when you look at components of it, specific countries, and expect that not to have any negative 
unintended consequences or knock-on effects. That's that's going to be huge. That's going to be a really big deal. And we can't assume that people are just going to be just as wealthy or have just as much purchasing power or access to the same amount of goods and services after you shut down the global economy for for years on end in some in some places. So now getting back to this, uh, it, I think it's safe to assume that that the average American has less purchasing power now than they did even in 2019, but they're going back to the beginning of last year. They continue and say, the vast majority, 81% of respondents, haven't added anything to their rate rainy day fund in 2023. About 60% of Americans feel behind when it comes to saving for the unexpected expense. The survey found the, report, the reports of shrinking savings not just that they're not adding to savings, but reports of shrinking savings. And keep in mind, this is in nominal terms. So if your savings is less than it was in 2019, that means your purchasing power has really gone down dramatically. Why? Because the price of goods and services have gone up. So if before you had $100 in savings, now you have 75. Well, that's that's not just like losing $25 in purchasing power. Because again, the price of stuff is a lot higher than it was when you had the hundred dollars in savings. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with macroeconomics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So the reports of shrinking savings come as economists and corporate leaders have pointed to a strong consumer spending as the engine fueling America's surprising resilient economy. But they say that spending isn't necessarily a sign of financial health. A lot of spending that takes place is being done out of necessity, not choice. And this is according to Greg McBride, chief financial analyst for Bankrate. For a lot of these households, it's not because they're living large. It's because they're just trying to keep up. So these corporations see that their top line revenue is going up, but they might not be, or they might be sweeping the details of that report under the rug. And the details being, well, how many units did you sell? You see, sure, your revenue might have gone up, but who cares? Adjust for inflation. Tell me how many units you've actually sold. And that may tell a much different story. And that their top line revenue goes up. That just means that people are spending more money. But it means that they're getting less stuff for a lot more money. And therefore, they are becoming poorer. 
That's grown more, now going back to the article, it's grown more difficult thanks to higher prices, the survey showed. More than half the respondents who hadn't grown their emergency savings this year pointed to inflation as the top reason. Mounting expenses, too much debt, and rising interest rates were the oft-cited hurdles. Okay, so now again, guys, let's look at this, what they're saying here in MarketWatch through the lens of what Jeff Gunlock is talking about. In Although we might see interest rates go down, which I agree with them, going into a recession over the next 10, 20 years, we are going to be on a cycle where interest rates are going to go higher and higher and higher, although it's always a roller coaster ride. They never go up in a straight line. But how are those higher and higher interest rates going to impact the American consumer that is already being squeezed as far as purchasing power as a result of prices going up in aggregate total, a lot faster than their wages have gone up since the central planners really started distorting the economy back in 2020. It says consumers concerned but still spending. American consumers came out of the survey sickness with plenty of cash. Again, something we talk about on this channel all the time. The personal savings rate peaked at, in 2020 at 32%. 32%. Of course, that's because of stimmies and PVP. Even into 2023, though, the article says consumer spending has been bolstered by pandemic era decline in household debt burdens. America's Americans refinanced their mortgage, took a break from paying their student debt, student loans. But you guys know from watching my videos, number one, this additional savings is now pretty much down to zero. And they're starting to have to pay back a lot of these student loans. Getting back to the article, those changes saved consumers hundreds of dollars a month. Researchers from the Federal Reserve Bank in New York reported recently, also the San Francisco Fed, I might add. But for many consumers, the extra cash is long gone or about to be long gone. In August, the personal savings rate dropped to 3.9%, according to the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis. But I think what they should have reported on or should have added as a chart of the additional savings that that built up over the past couple of years and where that additional savings is now relative to 2019. And according to the San Francisco Fed, it's almost back down to the same level. But the big key there is that that's the nominal amount of savings. They're not factoring in the real savings when they adjust for the prices of the stuff that that savings is going to buy having gone up and up and up over the past few years. Again, even though we've had disinflation, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we've had deflation. We've had disinflation, but prices are still going up and they're way higher than they were in 2019. And they won't, they, no, cer no certainties, only probabilities, but the probability is like 99% that, you, that those prices will not go back down to what you saw in 2019 when you look at a basket of goods. They never have in the past. Uh, well, you got to go back prior to the Fed to see some substantial deflation uh, to where it was in years prior. But after the Fed, we haven't seen that. So there's no reason for us to believe that that's what we would see in the future. Americans are more, getting back to the article, Americans are more stressed out about money than about their health. That's a big statement. 
and many consumers are worried about the state of their finances. October survey from the Financial Industry Regulator Authority Investor Education Foundation. Wow, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Jeez. The Financial Industry Regulatory Authority Investor Education Foundation. <laughs> My goodness. Found that Americans worry more about money than many other issues, including relationship problems or health concerns. When it comes to financial problems, the stress about most often setting aside funds for unexpected expenses. That was followed by concerns about saving for long-term goals. I'd take a healthy hunk of cash to ease. It would take a healthy hunk of cash to ease those surveys or those uh, those worries. Right, but we saw that healthy chunk of cash go to the consumer, and what did it lead to? Now, short term, yes, it puts a band-aid over the problem, but longer term, it makes the problem worse. Look, the only way to increase the wealth of society as a whole is not giving them more currency units. That's not going to make people wealthier. It's giving them or creating an economy that produces more stuff, more goods and services, more efficiently. You know, if you were stranded on a deserted island and I gave you a trillion dollars, how rich would you be? You'd be dirt poor. Why? Because you don't have any stuff. All you got is a coconut. That's not going to do you much good. What's your standard of living going to be? You see? So just by giving people money, that doesn't solve the problem. Longer term, it only makes it worse. Now they talk about part of that survey shows that consumer financial worries are compounded by pessimism about the broader economy. One survey of consumer confidence fell to a four-month low of 103 in September, reflecting angst about rising interest rates, inflation, and looming challenges. Okay, so if they're worried about future inflation and future interest rate hikes, well, that means that past inflation and interest rate hikes have impacted them negatively. Okay, well, if what Gunlock is saying is true, and over the next 20 years we have higher and higher interest rates, that means that most likely that's going to have to be absorbed or, or that that will fall on the shoulders of the poor and middle class. And the rest of the article was just more of the same, talking about how people are finding it very, very difficult to add to their savings, to have a rainy day fund, uh, although all the restaurants are packed. So it's almost like you've, you, you're a, a drowning person and you're just barely got your head above water but you can't hang on much longer and you're taking that last gasp of air before you sink. And it's like, we're seeing that last gasp of spending before the savings is depleted. And before those prices that have gone up over the last two years, just completely overwhelms the average Joe and Jane. And it's unfortunate, but it's reality. And we can sit there and try to put rose-colored glasses on, but that's not going to do anyone any good because you're just burying your head in the sand. And although ignorance may be bliss, it's not a good investment strategy. <laughs> and that's what we're all about on this channel is trying to bring these things to your attention so you can assess probabilities and look at the bear case along with the bull case, along with the bull case. I'll leave that up to CNBC and Bloomberg and the financial media. I'm sure you get that all the time. But we want to be cognizant of everything or as much as we can be cognizant of in the overall economy so we can determine probabilities and we can adjust our portfolios or set ourselves up financially to the point where we have the greatest 
the greatest chance of not only surviving what is being predicted by the yield curve and so many other metrics metrics out there, but actually surviving. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what this channel is all about, along with freedom and liberty and privacy, <laughs> but that free market capitalism component. And it's all about giving the information you need so you can have a complete view of what's going on in the global economy so you can make the best decisions possible. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your evening. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. If you want to see more of the most interesting recent stories that we've discussed right here on this channel, Josh, put them in a playlist right about here, and we'll see you in the next video.